Doctor Who podcast. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. Back for another week of exciting reviews. It's the Doctor Who podcast. In this episode, Tom and myself, that's me, Trevor, will be looking at the hungry earth, the return of the Silurians to the new series. Huzzah! Let's see what everyone in the camper van thought of it. I've been told I have to lead the podcast today, so I suppose I have to start the episode by saying, hello, Tom. Hello, Trev. How is it? <laughs> it is very good. It is very good. It's been a fantastic week. Um, we've received some wonderful feedback from all you guys about their recent crop of episodes, our Rob Shearman interview and our review of uh, last week's Doctor episode, and, and we thank you very much for that. It's lovely to hear and read. Definitely. It's, the, the podcast seems to be going over very well, and it's nice to know that people are enjoying the work. It's fab, nice. We'll just keep churning them out as long as you guys want to keep listening to them. We'll be here to keep giving them to you, so to speak. But, uh, <laughs> but I think in this particular episode, uh, we have to talk about the hungry earth. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Again, I've been told I have to lead with my opinion in this episode. Tom's told me. He's the boss. (laughs) So (laughs) for me, it's really going to be one of those awful, not real opinion type of things. One of those things where I'm going to say, well, I want to wait for the second episode. Because I think this episode does deserve that, that... There are lots of fantastic little things happening in this episode that I really think they're hopefully going to expand upon in the next episode. Knowing that the Silurians were coming back, I was really looking for a lot of the elements from, say, the Third Doctor story Uh or from, you know, other stories like the Sea Devils Uh with the Doctor negotiating with the Silurians rather than blowing them up or wiping them out. And I saw little things in this episode and even in the Next Time trailer that really make me think that, this is really going to be a hark back to, you know, the John Pertwee style of Doctor where rather than killing them, he, he was in there negotiating, trying to broker that peace between the reptiles and the humans. Mm. So for me, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really interesting episode, but probably more so than, than, than for a long time, I really think the second episode is going to really form the opinion of what I think of this one. Okay, that makes sense. It's a binary uh, and so this is clearly the setup, and next week is probably the payoff for all of the strands that are being woven. I accept that. I accept that. I've also got a text review from James, and it says here, really enjoyed it. Whole thing reminded me of a long third Doctor story. Loved the new Solurians. Great character development for Rory. Looked great too. All the best. So uh, James, good on you. Good on you, James. Yeah. You loved it. Exactly so. So with a twirl of his moustache and a flap of his big black cape, he says, I liked it, uh, which is quite amazing. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm not really that thrilled. Um, Why I, so, Tom? Why so? Well, OK, I accept what you're saying about the you want to wait until next week and see what's happening with it. And I do absolutely embrace that. I think, yes, you're right. The story's being told over a couple of weeks sit back and enjoy the ride um, at the same time though there, there do need to be some peaks and troughs within the actual episode itself I mean if you think of the time of angels that was really cracking it ripped along at a really great pace 
it did definitely feel like two old style episodes in the same way as this felt like two old style episodes you know cliffhanger all the way through interesting cliffhanger at the end and the pace was a lot more sedate very much like an old Pertwee in fact watching it I thought yeah this is like an old Pertwee with a couple of other references and uh, flashes that we'll talk about later on I guess but I've got to be honest uh, I'm not really a fan of the old Pertwee episodes and I'm not really a fan of the pace of the Pertwee episodes and although there are things to enjoy in this story it just dragged for me I'm really sorry I know it'll pick up next week and I will be eating my words but just being very instant gratification and here and now about it I was, it was like come on guys pick it up I want to enjoy this week and look forward to next week and the analytical part of my brain was saying yes sit back enjoy it enjoy the pace enjoy the fact that it's slowed down but I've got to be honest I was not getting bored but it's like oh come on pick it up pick it up <laughs> It's like the, that, I, that is really, really surprising to hear, Tom, because while I was watching, I was thinking, Tom's really going to like this. It's It's got a wonderfully even pace. <laughs> it's got a lot of really interesting characters in it. I mean, for me even, we could have probably actually done without some of the characters in it and slowed it down even more. Oh, you're because kidding. I think, no, 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 because for, for me sometimes I got the bit of the inkling like with the dyslexic kid oh, yeah. and with and with the burgeoning love interest between uh, uh, Shriver and the... Uh, older guy. That's Sometimes that does get in the way of the episode. And and if it was gone, mm. it might even slow down the pace, okay. not down to a uh, boredom level, which is what I think you're trying to say. But um, I think it would have more invoked the feel of those Pertwee stories that it is so clearly based upon. Like I said, I see that it's a Pertwee. I mean, there's so many little internal references there. But when I think when the Doctor said, no, I'm making perfect sense, you're just not keeping up, I'm thinking, do you know what, I'm with him. Can we all pick it up a bit, please? He's telling you what's going on. And Okay, maybe that's the thing. Um, perhaps in the last few episodes we've been used to seeing it from the Doctor's point of view or from the companion's point of view and everything's rattling along at quite a pace. But in this, it feels very much as, as if we are with the engineers and with the people drilling. So we're, we're watching it all unfold and the Doctor's leading us through it, which is a very old school dynamic. It's just that I think I've got used to the Eccleston tenant uh, pacing, which is very, very quick. Some might say too quick. And although I like a bit of relaxed pacing, this was almost lying back and having a cigarette and talking about the old wow. days. Wow. You know. Wow, because, I mean, that, that again, that, that really does surprise me because, I mean, we talked about during the Eccleston era back when we were on the Who cast mm. and, and certainly about the Tennant era mm. that sometimes things can just go by way too quickly that, you you know, Tennant would sit there and rattle off rapid-fire paragraphs of absolute gibberish <laughs> and... And within 10 seconds, you're meant to understand the whole story. I mean, for me, episodes like The Hungry Earth are a welcome return to, to a style of Doctor Who that I don't think we've seen mm. since the new series came back, that we're taking the time. The audience, I, I don't think, needs that rapid-fire dialogue type of style all the time. It's really good. You're in a nice, quaint country village. There's still a sense of urgency, but... Where? There's not a sense of urgency. See, and that's it. There's, there's a sense of urgency, but there's no sense of urgency. The doctors are going, oh, look, big drilling thing. Look, blue patches of grass. Guys, keep up, pay attention. And everyone's like, oh, I'll tell you what, doctor, put the kettle on. We'll have some tea. <laughs> yeah, be lovely. As I say, I fully expect to be eating my words next week when I'm talking about this amazing Denny Moore for this week. I don't get me wrong, I didn't hate it. I wasn't sat there gnashing my teeth. I was just thinking, come on, guys, pick it up a little bit. I, I'm not sure that this was the correct one for a two-parter because I think a lot of the exposition that was done over 40 minutes could have been done in half an episode. Uh, the cliffhanger as well is a very old-school cliffhanger. 
It is. It, it, it was a cliffhanger that I think I saw coming a long time away. I mean, I, I don't think it's any surprise that they spent half the episode talking about there's only a small group of Silurians. Yes, really, there is. Yes, d- did you hear me the first time? There's only a small group of Silurians. <laughs> and then, oh, surprise at the end of the episode. Oh, look, there's millions of them. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 it is an old school type of thing. I mean, to me, really, it's um, almost like a Star Trek cliffhanger ending. Mm. that there'll be our heroes sitting on the edge of a vast CGI panorama and the camera pulls back and the music kicks in, dun-dun-dun, <laughs> and then the episode ends. Uh, it, it really felt Star Trekky to me. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Mostly, it was made believable by Matt Smith's portrayal, but I think, don't get me wrong, there were lots of things I did actually really like about it. But should we, should we talk about those? I think we should. <laughs> I had great fun recognising the Pertwee quotes or references, if you like. I loved the references to Inferno, which has got to be the big one. Well, yeah, there's there's a big, dirty, great mining drill thingy. Yes, oh, exactly. So we, so we got Inferno, we got, of course, the Silurians as well. I mean, you know, because we're, we're, we're in Welsh caves, that's got to be number That's the big one there. Um, mm. Did you get the Day of the Daleks reference? No. Which, which one was that? Uh, right at the very beginning with the future, with the future usses. Oh, okay. I, I I was too caught up in the cheesiness of that scene to 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 be even thinking of a Day of the Daleks reference. <laughs> it depends. You know, for the old series, it's either Day of the Daleks when Doctor and Joe meet themselves. It's like, oh, look, we appear to be meeting ourselves. It's all right. It'll sort itself out in a minute. Um, it's either Day of the Daleks or Father's Day, depending on you know on where you come into it, which is quite nice. Mm, mm. I liked the idea of not being able to fly the TARDIS again, which is just so superbly old school Doctor. Rio! Yes. Oh, it's not. It's, a, <laughs> it's really not <laughs> at all. And of course, the village being sealed off uh, from the outside world, which would be very much the demons. Um, so yeah, yeah lots, lots of lovely takes on or quotes back to the old series, which I think the production team must know that um, men and women of a certain age also, children of all ages. Oh, love. yeah. I'm, I'm, and because all the quotes and references that you're picking up are all perky ones, mm. I think it's incredibly deliberate. Mm. And even, even a little bit of the characterisation, because Matt is really making this his own. He so is. Um, was a little bit uh, pertwee. And again, it's that same quote. No, I'm making perfect sense. You're just not keeping up. It seems to me like a very pertwee thing. I can hear that in his voice very, very easily. Um, I also picked up a Seventh Doctor thing. Um, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure you probably, you probably heard it too. Tell me what it is, and I'll let you know whether I heard it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Just as the doctor's interrogating the Silurian, Alia, uh, he says there'll be no battle here. In exactly the same way, Sylvester McCoy didn't say it. Um, <laughs> you know, that whole screaming and shouting and strutting around. There will be no battle here. There'll be no battle here today. But yeah, I, I thought there were lots of pleasing references to an old Doctor Who fan, an old Doctor Who archivist about uh, mm. the old series. But like I say, don't, don't get me wrong, I loved some of the story. I, I really liked the way that the Doctor interacted with Elliot as well. That was really good. And Rory got some good character development too. I'm sure this story must be pleasing to anyone who wants to see an old school style Doctor. Old school? I'm using that phrase a lot today. Um <laughs> Because the Doctor's seeing all the big stuff and missing the little stuff, or at least he's, he's seeing the detail in the big things, but he's missing the little things. For instance, when, when the lights all go out, the Doctor's concerned about the equipment, where Rory's concerned about the people. And you can see that Rory's bristling about that. And number one, where's Amy? 
why aren't you concerned about where Amy is? And then when, then when they're in the church and the lights go out, it's Rory that says, oh, is everybody okay? Are the people all right? Which seems to be a very marked thing. I don't, I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, it was an interesting character trait for the Doctor. I mean, while, while we're talking about the uh, main character here, yeah. the I, I watched it for a second time just before we started recording and, and paid special attention to that whole scene where the Doctor forgets about the boy going out for his headphones. Yes, yes. And then, and then when the realisation of that scene hits, you just stand there and you watch the Doctor. And I, I have never seen the Doctor so inept before. Um, for me, it really hits at my core belief about the you know the doctor being a very forceful, understanding, compassionate, intelligent, knows what he wants and how how to get it. But that scene in particular really drives home that this doctor forgets a lot of things. That he gets so caught up in the moment oh. that he forgets that that he casually waved away the boy to, to um, go and get his headphones at probably the worst possible time. Mm. Um, th- that scene really, really sits with me and especially the look on the Doctor's face, sort of, for, oh, my goodness, um, I totally forgot about him. Do you know, again, he Matt, Matt's doing this great job of being an old man trapped in a young man's body because he, mm. he just looked like some dotty old 80-year-old at that point. But mm. so you know, you know, massive kudos to Matt Smith for making it believable. But you're right; the Doctor is a flawed character. I won't say he's an anti-hero, but he's definitely a hero with clay feet. Um, you know, very much like Stephen Deedless in uh, Ulysses. Mm. But uh, in this, the characterisation is beautiful, brilliant, but flawed. But surely that's why we love the Doctor. Uh, and you see, I, I loved Ambrose's reaction to him. It's like, are you stupid? Why, why don't you think of this? Why, you, you just let him go. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see the Doctor's character developing in ways which I won't say are a complete shock, but are surprising to see magnified. But then again, that's got to be down to the skill of the actor and the writers. You know, How do you infuse a 45-year-old character and make it surprising by changing the lead mm. actor and then having the lead mm. actor being a very skilled person? So, yeah. It was an interesting thing to watch. What did you make of um, Rory's development there? I'm, I'm surprised you used that word with regard to Rory because I really think he's still there as the comedy foil. And But what you just talked about there about Rory being uh, more interested in the people rather than the equipment, mm. that really struck me as something that Rory does very well. No power. It's deliberate. What do we do now? Nothing. We've got nothing. They sent an energy search to wreck our system. Is everyone okay? Is everyone hurt? Fine. All good. All good. Me too. He does seem to be becoming a little, a little bit more self-assured now, mm. especially with all those scenes where he was um, impersonating a police officer in the graveyard. He <laughs> took on that role quite easily, although it still showed in his face that he didn't know what the heck he was doing. But he seemed to slip into that role and try and assume that mantle of figuring out what was going on in this village, you know, to try and help the Doctor along, even though in the end the Doctor pretty much brushed him off and said, you know, what are you talking about type of thing. That's the sort of development I'm, I'm seeing in Rory. Well, you know, it's, just, it's probably just, a, just an illustration of my extreme monomania. Um, when Rory uh, kept walked back out of the TARDIS having deposited the ring, and clearly that's an important thing, the ring in that little space in the TARDIS, I don't know why it's important, but it clearly is. When he first met Ambrose and she just started chatting away to him, I got the feeling that that was Rory's moment to be the Doctor. Instantly accepted, given some authority, given some respect and kudos, and he didn't mm. quite know what to do with it, you know? <laughs> That's exactly right. I think he was incredibly surprised to be thrust into that role and, and have someone 
look at him instantly thinking he is a figure of, of authority. Mm, mm. And he's going, oh, do you know who I really am? I mean, have you ever met me before? You, you are obviously mistaken, my dear. But uh, yeah, no, it was great. He seemed to be a little bit like Peter Davison in that moment. As I say, that's probably my monomania. Uh, but he's <laughs> that, that kind of like, okay, um, yes, I'll just go along with this for a little while. Uh, and then there's Elliot being very, very bright and perceptive uh, about uh, what could possibly be going wrong. I did like Elliot's little story there. I do, I do like the way he was set up. He's, as you say, he's dyslexic. And there was a shining moment when the doctor's saying, well, it doesn't matter, just draw it. You know, I, I liked that this particular doctor is very inclusive and willing to share responsibility, despite the fact he's a little bit dotty. Um, mm. the, I don't know, you may not have seen it, actually. There's a, a newspaper here called The Times Educational Supplement clearly from this name, it's for teachers and so on and so forth. Um, about six weeks ago, there was a story where the Doctor Who team had been approached by, I shouldn't really name them, but um, a centre for gifted children. And they were asking if they could use the Doctor as a mascot. And the BBC came back and said, no. And on the one hand, the Centre for Gifted Children were a little bit upset, saying, oh, the Doctor's really popular, it'll be good, pu- it'll be good publicity for us. But the, the line from the BBC was, we can't have the Doctor representing just gifted children. He has to represent all children um, mm. and when I saw this I, it, it immediately sprung to mind because when I first saw the article I thought well, that's a bit snotty but then you know over a couple of days you think actually no, that's a really great idea and then when you see things like this which is you know as I say a dyslexic child being made to be absolutely crucial to to the effort to save the entire village then you see how, how useful it is and then you hear stories about how well do you know what I think for, you know for me maybe for you Tom Baker often tells the story of people who come to him even now, old men, saying, look, thank you for all your work because, you know, the one bright light in my week when when everyone was was telling me I was stupid or I had nowhere to go, I had no hope, was to watch Doctor Who and I felt inclusive and I was travelling with you. If Mm. if Doctor Who can be made to be doing that for children now, if they're dyslexic, if they're a bit lonely, if they're they're missing one of their parents or if they're away from home, that's exactly what this show is for. That's how powerful it is. And to me, that it's expressed in a throwaway little line like that is Perfect. Look at that! Perfect! Dyslexia never stopped Da Vinci or Einstein, it's not stopping you. All I can say is I totally agree. <laughs> um, I I thought he was a fantastic character. I mean, I'm still got at the back of my mind that maybe they're going to use the dyslexia some way in the second episode. Mm. Um, that, that they seem to spend so long on it mm. that it's going to feature somewhere else, but... Maybe that's just me overanalyzing things again. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Um, it's it's fantastic when Doctor Who does stuff like that. Not necessarily championing a minority, but just championing people. Yes. And um, being there for people and a person, whatever disability or affliction they might have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll entirely go with that. I mean, the Doctor himself is vaguely autistic. He's, it's like he's got Asperger's syndrome or something at the moment. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Yes, but the, definitely. But that our hero is inclusive is brilliant. You know, I think as Toby Haydock said in a, couple, in a few episodes back in the interview, I like that the Doctor doesn't quite know what he's doing. I like that the TARDIS is a bit beaten up and not the best ship in the fleet. It just means that you could be the Doctor and your knackered old Ford Escort outside could be the TARDIS. That's fabulous. <laughs> some quite strong elements of horror in the story though um the idea of being dissected alive that's a bit uh, yeah i'm really hoping they're not going to go down that particular route too much in the second episode because uh, it seems like every man in exalt is going to be strapped to one of those tables in that in that second episode so mm, you know the doctor included so it will be interesting to see 
what happened. It was just a very visceral sort of flinching for me with that. That was one of several moments where I thought, oh, right, okay, a bit of pickup. But when the first character that was sucked down was being quite so frightening, frankly, Karen's performance brought home the claustrophobia of everything and the fear of everything and the worry of it mm. all. And then to think you're, that you're going to be cut open whilst you're still awake. Oh, oh yes, yes. Like I said, I hope they don't show that too much in the second one. I hope they've just sort of mentioned it and we're just going to move on now because I think that might be a little bit too graphic for Doctor Who. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, for, for me, the most frightening moment or scene in the entire episode wasn't necessarily that guy getting sucked down at the beginning. It mm. was that same scene, but just that small beep where he had his arm trapped in the hole and he pleaded, please no. Yeah, yeah. Um, to that, that sent an incredible chill up my spine, just, just that pleading voice saying, oh, no, no, please, I, I don't want this to happen to me. To, to me, that's more frightening than seeing a guy getting pulled in by his legs into a big dirt hole True. because it, it really gets into the core emotion of the character. It really shows you a side that shows this guy is truly frightened. Well, you know, this, maybe this is something that Doctor Who does a little bit better than Star Trek. There is the security officer in red. We do not know his name. He is about to be killed. As opposed to Doctor Who, which says, here is the man. He cares about his son's dyslexia. Here is his wife. Here is the relationship between the man and his wife. He is a geologist. You know, you've actually got a good amount of backstory there. And then suddenly mm. he's dead. It's, oh, no, please. But you do actually feel for him. Um, and then when you see him with his, with his chest having been hacked open, it's like, oh, dear. You know, I really, I really do yes. feel for you. <laughs> he's not having a very good day at all, really. really sure what else we can say about this because I mean we're, we're at such different ends of the spectrum with I mean for me the pacing of the episode is one of the key integral parts of it mm. and to start harping on to you about why I think it wasn't slow pace and why you think it is mm. I, I don't know I mean I mean that really seems to then hit at the core of what this whole episode's about that it really is one of these classic series um, throwbacks well do you know the analytical part of my brain uh, marks this out very clearly as being something that I would guess to be pleasing to a lot of old school fans. Now, I am a mid-school fan, I think, because I got into this sort of Tom Baker season 16, season 17. So to me, that's that's like mid-years. Um, I can see why it would be pleasing. I understand why it's going to be enjoyable. And maybe if I watch it at another time, because I saw this when I was a little bit, when I'd been sort of fizzed up for a lot of the day. I've been, there'd been a lot of adrenaline. So maybe if I watch this again when I'm more relaxed, I'll enjoy it more. And I perceive why it is enjoyable for the sake of the more sedate pacing. But as I sat down to watch it, I was expecting something a little bit more, a little bit more pacey. And I thought there's a good amount of this that I could get rid of in an effort to tell the story. However, when we see next week, that may well explain why everything has been the way it has mm. been over this, in this last episode. Um, the only other thing I'm, I think we might get uh, uh, an interesting t- t- conversation from is the is the character of Nasreen, who I thought was really, really good. She's not Liz Shaw, but she is a scientist, and she is she did she did have enough of a sense of wonder about the TARDIS and a, and a relative scepticism about the Doctor as well that made her journey interesting um really mm. well played as well i thought i don't know if you have a view on that yeah no um i wasn't too sure what was going to happen when she decided to jump into the tardis and join the doctor and uh that bit afterwards where they did all the comedy rolling around the tardis console and uh <laughs> there was that awful all almost clown carnival music piping along in the background while the tardis hurtled down to the uh 
bowels of the earth. But she has the potential to really be the cornerstone of this whole story. And I think what we're seeing in the next time trailer as well mm. seems to bear that out, that she's going to be one of the pivotal characters in this entire story. I've got a real funny feeling, though, that she's going to lose the man that she's finally decided to fall in love with. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Do- Doctor Who so often does this that they put two people together who have only looked at each other longingly from across the other side of the room and then it rips them apart. Yeah. Now, we- we've already had that set up now with uh, him being, uh, what do you call tongued, I suppose you could call it, <laughs> on his uh, neck. <laughs> I suppose there's any way you can call it, really. Oh, I forgot and about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so we've got that already. So I think there's going to be a heartbreaking thing happening between those two that uh, he, he's going to be lost to her somehow. Oh, um, yeah. Maybe he's changing. Maybe he's changing into a Silurian, perhaps, some sort of genetic Makeup change, perhaps. Um, very seeds of doom. Yes. Mm, very much so. Very much so. She she was a fantastic character, um, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing where her development goes next week. Oh, something's just occurred to me. Actually, um, right at the very beginning, with that day of the Daleks quotation, with that. Oh, it's you two. Um, thing going on with where Rory and Amy see Rory and Amy. There's something not right with that. Hang on a minute. They're 10 years in their future. They're in Wales and they assume that they are in Wales visiting in the right timeline. Our version of Rory and Amy are visiting that timeline with a Time Lord in a time machine. What's to say that that version of Rory and Amy aren't visiting that timeline with a Time Lord. The only other question apart from that would be, if you saw your wife and kids across in, in a future timeline, wouldn't the first question of yours be, where am I? I, I yeah, my, my, my first instinct, Thomas, to say you are overanalyzing this. I mean, for <laughs> me... You're probably right. <laughs> for, for me, that, that, that scene made sense, that at some point in the future, Amy and Rory leave the Doctor. They are taken back to probably like within a day of when they left, presumably to continue on with their wedding. That They continue their lives and then at some point 10 years later they go ah why why don't we pop up to wales just for a bit of a lark and um see how past selves arrive in the tardis no that's 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 a massive coincidence that would be a huge coincidence what why is it a coincidence when amy the future amy and rory will know when their past selves were going to be there how did they get there no no i hear what you're saying i'm thinking no where's the where's the doctor yeah. Mm. Okay, we'll see. Why would the doctor be there? They've they've travelled in non-TARDIS transport. I'd say they've jumped in a car, or they've jumped on a bus or a train, and they've popped off for a little holiday to Wales just to see themselves on the other side of the hill. I mean, for me, the only thing that doesn't make sense is why didn't the future Amy and Rory put themselves right next to the church so, that, so they could get a real close look? Why did they decide to go on a hill two kilometres away? Yeah, yeah. There's more going on there than I think we realise. There's something very yeah that that's just occurred to me. That's weird. Where's the, where's the future doctor? I hear what you're saying, but I'm not buying it. Where's the future doctor? And you're but I, I pick up on what you're saying. Why aren't they closer to the church? Yeah. Okay. Well, that 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 was only just a random thing. I mean, if if they were going to do that sort of thing for a lark, then why not just make it a total lark and be standing pretty much where the TARDIS pulls up? Oh, listen and go surprise. Listen, if you want to hear about total larks, I've already found what I believe can, can, has got to be the best kooky theory of the week. But I, oh, it, cool! It's so brilliant. I'm going to tell you about it now. Um, apparently, the theory is that Elliot is the Doctor, but in his own past as a child. What? I know. <laughs> I know. 
Lovely place to grow up round here. Suppose. I want to live in a city one day. Soon as I'm old enough, I'll be off. I was the same where I grew up. Did you get away? Yeah. Do you ever miss it? So much. I think we probably said all we really need to say about The Hungry Earth. I mean, for me, like I said, it's a case of let's see what the second episode brings us. And and I think for you, Tom, a little bit, it's kind of, well, you're slightly disappointed with the first one with its slower pacing. Mm. You're hoping that the ends justify the beginnings, really. And in, we, we get a second episode that will deliver a nice rounded product for us. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I'll be straight with you. I'm going to watch it again. Uh, having calmed down a bit after, because as, as I say, I was full of adrenaline and really sort of running around uh, when I came to sit down to watch this last night. Um, so I'm going to watch it again, having had some chamomile and having sat in the sun for a little while and see if that makes any difference, <laughs> which it may well do. Who knows? Well, that, as they say in the funny papers, Tom, is it, I'd say. Time for us to uh, head out of here, I, I, I would think. Yeah, all right. Thank you, everyone, for your company. It's been, been lovely to be able to chat to you today about the hungry earth. And, uh, Tom, thanks for popping by, as per usual. It's really, really good to be here. Hopefully we can get the third musketeer on board next week as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Even if we have to bring him here in shackles and chains, he, he will be here. Oh, he likes that sort of stuff. I know. That's what, that's what will entice him to get him here. But, uh, <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. But until next week, uh, please send in your feedback to feedback at thedoctorpodcast.com. We have a fan reaction episode happening in the middle of the week with a, with a special guest. So uh, please get your audios in as quickly as possible so we can include your thoughts on the hungry earth in uh, that fan reaction episode. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Tom. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you, Shreve. We'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>